All right. Hello, church. Hello. I want to welcome everyone this morning. If you're new with us, my name is Derek, and I'm one of the pastors here at Zion. And we're so glad that you're joining us here today. Uh, and it, like they said, it is a sad day, but because our time in the park is coming to a close. And I know I've been warning about it for the last two weeks. Each week I've told us that this was coming. Uh, but I love the atmosphere of the park. I, it just feels different to worship outside with the Lord. The type of community that is built, it's such a cool thing. However, I also like moving back inside. Because for one, and I know no one wants to admit it, but cold is around the corner, so it's good to go back inside. For that matter, don't boo me. I, I, I know that might be a, a hot take. But, uh, but also, doing church in the park is challenging. It can be difficult to grow as a close connection with others when you're spread out like this. If you're sitting over here on this side, you may have no clue of who's here on this side. That ability to grow, that ability to come together as one family is harder out here. And so it's easy for people to maybe feel unseen or at the very least less connected. And so moving into the dock offers us the opportunity to take what we built this summer and to dive deeper into relationship building. It allows us to build off the energy of the park and channel it into our Christian family. If you've never thought about checking out the dock or maybe you haven't been in a while, I want to invite you. I want you to, I want you to feel this invitation today that we would like you to come and join us. So next week, come join us in the dock. And then stick around for that launch party that she was talking about. And I don't know, if we haven't explained it well enough, if, if you feel like, well, there's nothing for me, or I don't know, I don't have kids. Like, it's a church picnic, you guys. There's free food. We just get to hang out and fellowship with one another. We just get to have a good time. So please, everyone, all ages, no matter who you are, we want you there. We want you to come celebrate the new season. We want you to be a part of our family as we dine together over burgers and hot dogs and just to have a good time. So I really hope you join us. It should be awesome. Okay, so I won't lie. This sermon took me a lot more to write it. I think I went into the uh, sermon review and I was like, I hate all of it. I want to throw it out. And, you know, you might think I'm kidding, but I literally said that uh, walking in. They're like, man, your mood's a bummer. Uh, so the good thing is we're talking about new creation today. And God did transform my heart on this one uh, as I was working through it. And as I was, uh, I don't know, coming to terms with what needed to be said. And so... I don't know. It's, it's really cool to when God takes a hold of your heart and transforms you when you're writing a message on transformation. So I don't know. It was just kind of cool. But anyway, over the last couple of weeks, we've walked through this simple yet complex idea of Jesus plus nothing. This is the idea that Jesus alone is all that is needed for salvation, that there is nothing else that needs to be added. Sure, Christianity, we like to pile on all that other stuff. Like three weeks ago when I ran off that entire list of everything that it means to be a Christian. But the simple answer is that Jesus is enough. And so to help further our understanding of this, uh, understanding of who Jesus is, his character, his nature, his heart, we turn to the New Testament and the idea was to take a witness account, meaning we looked at each book of the Bible to study and see if there was one common voice where all these themes seem to be found 
Could we find something in all of the books? And I picked out three, and over the last two weeks, we walked through the first two, community and cross. And so two weeks ago, I began by discussing the importance of a healthy church community. And I know when you look at this topic, when you look at the idea of community, it might have felt strange that I started with that. Because the New Testament seems to talk about the ministry of Jesus first, and then begins to discuss the church and what that community would look like. However, it's important to understand God's desire for community from the very beginning because it's going to play such an important role with what we're talking about today. Then, last week, I gently walked us through the second theme, which was the cross. And the cross is important because it seems to be the hinge. It seems to be the thing that everything seems to build off of. It seems to build off the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so basically what I'm trying to convey is that it would be very difficult, it would be very challenging to understand new creation without first understanding those two topics. And so today's message is going to pick right up where we left off last week uh, with the resurrection of Jesus. However, before we begin, I want to discuss a conversation that challenged me to grow this past week. Man, I had bunches of them apparently. Uh, but after last week's message, I was talking to one of our biblically wise uh, members of our congregation and I asked her to critique my theology on the Jesus plus nothing idea. I wanted to see if there's anything else that needed further clarification. And be careful what you ask for, because she let me have it. No, I'm just kidding. She was actually absolutely wonderful, uh, but she did provide some very helpful feedback. She just wanted to caution me against focusing on Jesus so much that we lose sight of the other parts of God. She said it's very easy to forget about the Holy Spirit. And I found this feedback to be very meaningful. And I was so blessed that she was willing to have that discussion with me. And so I want to take a second to kind of discuss that idea quickly, uh, because I do think it's important. Because here at Zion and as Lutherans, we believe in what's called the Trinity, which is simply put, we believe in one God. So 1 Timothy 2.5, for there is one God. But there are three persons that make up God, God the Father, God the Son, or Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. And so when I use the phrase, Jesus plus nothing, I want you to think about it as if I'm including all of them into that idea. They are one and the same. You see this played out in the, in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to obey everything I commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. There is one God but three distinct persons. And it can be hard to understand this, and that is just a very basic understanding of the Trinity. It is way more complex than just calling them persons. It is a very complex topic. But when you look at Jesus, and you're looking at this Jesus plus nothing, I use Jesus because... As I talked about last week, one of the benefits of Jesus is that he was sent as a human, which allowed us the ability to relate to that humanity. It's how we got to know God, his character and nature. Jesus showed us what God was passionate about. He showed us what broke his heart. Jesus represents the three. So when we look at the cross, it's easy to say that it was Jesus that died on the cross. But the other two were present. The other two were there as well because it also displayed the Father's love for humanity. It showed how precious we are to him. 
And the Holy Spirit represents what we're talking about today with the new creation. The Holy Spirit dwells inside all believers and reminds us of that sacrifice daily. The Holy Spirit helps us live out the cross. All three play a role in the cross. And so I love that feedback because I think it was a needed clarification because if we are doing, we would be doing a disservice to neglect any part of the Trinity. And so it also just, it just helped me realize that I need to think deeper sometimes when preaching, that I need to make sure that I'm communicating all different points well. And so I love that feedback. Thank you so much. It was awesome. But now to time to shift gears a little bit. We live in a world where value and worth are characteristics that are earned through hard work. There is a transactional element to the whole process. The more work a person accomplishes usually equates to their overall value. Conversely, the less a person is able to achieve, the lower the person's perceived value. And I think this notion can be taken even a step further because it feels as though Everything given in life is, has to be earned. I see this true in the workplace. I see it in relationships and even by family members. And there's also an element of like entitlement to the process as well, where if someone works hard, then they should get something in return. And the problem is, is that it, this is also present within the church and more specifically in how we view our relationship with God. And so I was talking to some of the staff this week, and we were discussing how we were parented as a kid. And one of the stories I told uh, kind of fits this idea. And so let me begin by saying this right now, so, and it's recorded, so it'll be there forever. I love my stepdad, Chris. Okay, there you go. I love my stepdad, but uh, he, could have been, he was a little strict growing up. He was, uh, he was a little gruff. And I mean, it was the normal stuff. It was uh, no shoes on in the house, food belongs at the table, feet belong in the floor, not in the chair, turn off the lights the second you're done with them, keep your room cleaned, or at the very least, shut your door. Uh, he, didn't, he didn't like if our vehicles were dirty on the inside or the outside. Apparently, he didn't like it if we threw rock in the driveway with our tires when we left in a hurry. Who knew? He didn't like that. We had to go back out and patch them or throw more rock down. Oh, and when we talked back to him, he definitely didn't like that. Uh, I was guilty of that one for sure. Um, but anyway, he was. He was, a, he was pretty strict. I know that doesn't sound strict, but uh, it was in practice. Uh, now he's a big fluffy teddy bear. Uh, grandchildren will do that to you. All he, all he needed was a granddaughter, and uh, apparently I wasn't cute enough uh, growing up, but that's okay. I'm not hurt by it or anything. But anyway, I remember a conversation that I had with him about mowing. He probably doesn't even remember it, but each week I had to mow my grandparents, Bernie and Cleta. I had to mow their humongous yard. And my grandpa Bernie, he was per pretty particular as well. And so it took like three hours to mow this yard. And most of it was running a weed eater. It was the worst. Like, <laughs> like by the time I was done, my whole arm was numb. It was, yeah. It was, it, was, it was awful. But he would give me $10 to do it. Well, I felt like I did a good job. I felt like I worked really hard. And I just knew, I just knew down to my core that I deserved more money for it. So I was feeling brave one day, or maybe it was a little foolish. I'm not quite sure. 
But I approached my stepdad and I argued my case that I deserved more money, that I had earned a raise. So let's stop there for a second. And I think this is the problem that uh, humanity faces sometimes. Uh, we have it in our heads that uh, one of two things, either we deserve more or we've earned the right to have more. But either way, this is, it's kind of how we measure things. It's all about earning a reward, earning more money, earning someone's love or affection, earning people's respect. Now, the conclusion to my lawn mowing story is the conversation shockingly did not go in my favor. Uh, I made my case and basically said that, uh, he basically replied that, well, you're gonna mow the yard either way. So you have your, you have your option that I could do it for free if I wanted to. So he did leave it up, it was my choice, and long story short, I continued to do it for $10. But when I look at humanity today, I think we too view things from this perspective. We have a value-based culture where everything you do has to be earned. And I think this spills over into Christianity where we feel the need to earn our place, earn our salvation, earn our spot in heaven. And I think we, we have to be aware of this mindset because I think it, an over-reliance on earning things can be a hindrance to understanding what it means to be a new creation. And so let's talk about salvation real quick. <laughs> Such a quick topic. Let's just, let's just talk about it super quick. Uh, and I'll start with one of my favorite verses. In, or No, it's one of the most famous verses of all time with John 3.16, but I personally like 17 when you add it on there. I think it's, it makes it way more interesting. Uh, for this is John 3.16 and 17. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Why this verse is so popular is because it does a good job summarizing the reason for the cross. God loves us, he values us, and so he's sending his son to save us from death. And that a belief in Jesus will give us salvation. And so I went through this spiritual phase when I just hated when people would say that they are a Christian because they wanted to go to heaven. To me, it felt selfish. It seemed like it missed the point, and it felt like a lazy answer. But man, is it easy to judge people, isn't it? And that's what I was doing. And I'm certainly known for doing it on, an, on occasion. And so this is a great example of that. And here is why we shouldn't judge. What does salvation really mean when you break it down? It means that we get to spend eternity united in fullness with God. In his loving embrace, under his provision. No hurts, no pains and worries. Why in the world would I judge someone for wanting that? Who wouldn't want that? Salvation is the end game, but not for selfish reasons. It's to be in oneness with God. And so this leads us to the question that most Christians probably ask themselves in some form or another. At one point, they, I, I would assume almost everyone in the room has asked themselves this question. Whether they know the truth or not, I believe we all have felt it in one way, one way shape, or another. How do I get to heaven? How do I know that I've made it? Have I done enough good to make it? And I think it's entirely understandable that people feel this way. 
And I sometimes, too, foolishly desire an ability to earn salvation. It's so much easier to view it as a mathematical equation where people have their positive actions judged against their negative ones. But we definitely don't want that. We definitely don't want that. And I, and I mean at all. We would all fail miserably if we were asked to earn our salvation, to keep the commandments, to resist sin. That would be the worst. And I'm so thankful that God didn't make it that way. And I understand that there might be some, uh, any of our long-tenured uh, Christians in the room, you might be like, oh yeah, I know that I can't earn my salvation to heaven. I know that I've known that since Sunday school. And I believe that is probably true. But I'm pushing this point because I want everyone to do some real introspection. Look down deep into your core. Don't we all sometimes ask that question, have we done enough to earn heaven? I believe that a lot of us would say that we can't earn salvation. I do. I believe that. But it, then it feels as though our actions sometimes disagree with that notion. And I think whether it's intentional or not, I think many Christians act as though salvation is something that can be earned. And I know that, and I know that because I've done it. I know that's the case because I have felt that way a lot. But here's how it sounds in my head. If I truly believe, 100%, if I believe that God loved me so much, so much that he sent his son to die on the cross for me, or as verse 17 put it that I just read, in order to save me, if I believe that he sent his son to save the world, if I believe all of that, then why am I not shouting the gospel message from the rooftops? Why am I not doing everything in my power to lead others to Jesus? Why am I not doing everything possible to be transformed by God? Why, Lord? Why, Lord, am I not letting this change me? And now, it just so happens that I am kind of yelling it from uh, a platform to people, but here's the thing. I watch a lot of TV. I have a social life. I do other things. Why is it not, why am I not dedicating every second to this if it is truly that important? If I truly believe that this is what needs to be done? I know that I can't earn salvation, yet it's thoughts like that that still find their way into my head. That feeling is still there, and sometimes it does haunt me. Am I a good enough Christian? Have I earned my place? Do I have enough faith? And so I sometimes need to be reminded of that. I need to be reminded of Ephesians 2.8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not the result of works so that no one may boast. Thank you, Paul, for writing this. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for inspiring this. Thank you for showing me that I'm not the only one who wrestles with this idea. Thank you for giving me a path to understanding it. So here's the same uh, section of scripture, but it's using uh, an amplified translation. So I'm going to try to emphasize the areas of the amplified Bible. Okay, so Ephesians 2.8. 
For it is by grace, which is God's remarkable compassion and favor drawing you to Christ, that you have been saved, which means actually delivered from judgment and given eternal life through faith. And this salvation is not of yourself, not through anything you do, not of your own effort, but it is the undeserved, gracious gift of God. Not as the result of your works, nor your attempt to keep the law, so that no one will be able to boast or take credit for in any way for his salvation. I added this, this translation in here because I think it does a great job of explaining how this relationship works. And it begins with God's grace. The grace that is offered freely as a gift, even though there's nothing we do that deserves it or that can earn it. That it is just God's gift to us. And so when we break this down, when we look at grace a little bit further... It's so important to this exchange. And, and truly, grace is a hard thing to understand through her human terms. God's remarkable compassion and favor drawing you to Christ. Grace is an essential part of God's character. It's equivalent to like his benevolence, his love, his mercy. And grace can be variously defined as God's favor to, towards the unworthy, God's benevolence towards the undeserving. In his grace, God is willing to forgive us and bless us abundantly in spite of the fact that we don't deserve it, in spite of the fact that we always push back, despite of the fact of everything we do as humanity. He still deals with us generously. So the term grace would have been understood by the Romans. Uh, the Roman Empire, it has a social class hierarchy system, basically where there's different levels depending on your name and birthright. And, there's all, and this also kind of goes hand in hand with your wealth. If someone wanted to move from a lower class to an upper class, the only way they could do that is that they would need support from someone on that upper level. They would have needed that person to basically pull them up from that lower level onto that higher level. Because no matter what you did, if you were on a lower level, there was nothing you could do, no matter how uh, profitable you became, no matter what you did, there was nothing you yourself could do to lift yourself up to that next level. The only way to move up was if someone from that upper level showed you grace. If they chose to elevate you to a higher level. And there's nothing you could do to earn it. It was all from that elite person's decision. And then once you were raised up, you would, be, you would have to dedicate everything you did to that person. So if you were a sandal maker, you would have to name your sandal shop or your sandal store that you opened up. You would have to name it after that person that lifted you up. You would dedicate yourself to them because of their generous grace. Now, this story probably sounds pretty similar to what's being described in Ephesians verse. And it kind of is. God does elevate us up to his level because of his love and grace. There is nothing that we do to earn it. And then we are to dedicate ourselves to him. But the heart of God is not about exploitation, but instead is about love. Now, there does seem to still need to be an action step. It's not just something that uh, we can just let happen, okay? Yes, grace is extended to us, but there is a faith part of it. There is a, there is a part of it that we have to, that is on our end. Because we are saved through faith alone. 
There's nothing that society can do to reconcile God or merit forgiveness of sin, grace, and justification. This means that good works have no impact on salvation and that there's only one way to reconcile with God, and it's through faith in Jesus. John 14, 6, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And this notion is done through faith found in Jesus. Jesus serves as the bridge between God and humanity. And nothing about, and so last week I had a teaser statement, okay? And you might have missed it. Maybe you didn't even catch it. But I said something similar to this. A lot of times Jesus is used as the example that we are to follow. And this is true, but it extends way more, way deeper than just moral behavior. New creation is not the same thing as doing something good. Good works are not equal to be, being created new. There are a lot of good people in the world who are not saved because they do not follow Jesus. And this might be hard for us, for some of us to hear. Following Jesus is the goal, and it is so much greater than just being a good person. And hope is what separates new creation from good works. We have hope in the one who is transforming us. And if we try to attain salvation through works, we reject the need for Christ. If we only focus on earning salvation, then we ignore everything that Jesus did for us on the cross. We cheapen the cross and our hope is lost. However, this does not mean that good works is unnecessary or that people should not worry about doing good things. Jesus' teachings and actions pushed against societal norms, but it was more than just Jesus being a radical. It was a call to change. Jesus' death on the cross offered us liberation from sin. It wiped the slate clean and sets up a transformation to take place in our hearts. With the freedom from sin, we can live freely under the authority of King Jesus. It's what we've been walking through for the last eight months when we were walking through the book of Matthew in chapter five. It's such a beautiful challenge. We're asked to love one another with a servant's heart and be the light that leads people to God. It's a life that sets aside power, greed, and selfishness. And it says that we must pick up our cross. We're told that we must deny ourselves and resist that old sinful nature. I mentioned it last week in Matthew 16, 24 through 26. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. None of this is done out of obligation, but instead is done out of freedom. Sin takes away our ability to choose, but the cross breaks us free from that idea altogether. There is freedom being made new in the image of Christ. New creation is not merely just an idea that needs to be theorized and debated, but instead it is being meant to be put into practice. The cross serves as an example for what, the way Christians should live their lives. To call Jesus an example to follow seems to cheapen the whole concept. Instead of calling it an example to follow, it's a way of life that humanity should inspire to become. The cross revealed the character of Jesus. 
It didn't just show who he was, but it highlights everything that he found valuable. And as followers of Christ, we are made for good works, and our hearts are to be transformed. Just as we are to live out our baptism daily, we are to be changed daily. Good, good works are not done as a means for salvation, but are the result of becoming more like Christ. Living lives that emulate Christ will start to bear fruit, and good works will flow. So I ask, how is God trying to transform your life? How is he changing your heart? Remember that it doesn't have to be anything crazy. Maybe it's similar to my story where someone in the congregation spoke truth to me. Maybe it's letting other Christians speak into your life. Maybe God is breaking your heart for things that are happening in the world around us. I personally believe that God can use about just, just about anything to transform hearts. But are we ready to listen? Are we ready to submit freely? And so I was at a, a conference one time, and there was a speaker that was knocking it out of his topic. He was just knocking it out of the park. Not like the physical park, but he was like killing it. Like it was, it was such a great uh, topic that he was talking about. And he was providing some really good resources. However, instead of asking how God is going to use this to change me, I was taking notes about how to turn it into a sermon for the youth program. I didn't let the Holy Spirit let it sink in. But don't worry, God convicted me pretty hardcore. And now I think about it every single time I read scripture. I make sure that I'm listening and learning how to apply it. How do I take the things that God is trying to do in my heart and how do I let him take hold? How do I, how do I make sure that I am not resisting him at every step, that I'm letting him transform me? That I let God do the necessary changes in my heart. Then that transformation can serve as a witness for the world. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21, this means that anyone who belongs to... That scared me. <laughs> I will lie to you guys. <laughs> Anything that Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and the new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation so that we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. This is where community comes back into play. It's not a task that we can just carry alone. Christians are supposed to serve as Christ's ambassadors. We're supposed to do it together and represent the gospel. We're supposed to live it out. In Philippians 1.27, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. We as a community of Christ are to share the good news with everyone. And it all hinges on the transformation that is being made within each and every one of us. So here's the recap that we discussed today. We are broken and sinful, but then God extends his loving grace to us. 
to anyone who submits to Jesus as Lord and Savior, whoever agrees to be a part of the community and family of Christ. Then when Jesus frees us from sin, a transformation starts to take place. The Holy Spirit begins to work in our lives and we are, we are to set aside our sinful self and be made new. The love of Jesus should transform our hearts. Then we are to share that transformation with the world. So here's the big idea. Change is hard, but we need to do our best to not resist the work that God is trying to do in our lives. Through God's grace, he removed shame. He provided value to our lives and he gave us identity through Christ Jesus. We don't have to worry about whether we've earned salvation. Remember that salvation just puts us in wholeness with God and becoming more Christ-like does the same thing. The more we become like Christ, the more we get to experience God. The more we get to live in that oneness, the more we get to shrink that gap. This will then serve as a witness to the world. So I want to thank you guys for walking through this series with me and for giving me the opportunity to develop and grow these messages. Uh, the next sermon series that we're kicking off next week, it's going to pick right up with these left off, and you're going to hear some similar language as Pastor Jason goes deeper into these topics. Hopefully this will help establish a vision for our Zion community. So I leave you with this. Remember that being a Christian can be challenging. But there is no reason to add any confusion to that. When I think of community cross and new creation, this is kind of how I summarize it. We are called into community with one another. And this was the case from the very beginning and you can see it throughout scripture. We are called into community with one another because of the cross. Jesus unites all believers under one common bond, the death and resurrection of him. Through the cross, Jesus defeated death, sin, and the devil, and he established his lordship. And we are asked to submit to his loving rule, to be obedient to our call, that we are being made new through this process. Never forgetting that we are going to mess up. We will fall into temptation and sin will take a temporary hold, but Jesus has set us free from it. And we are to live out that freedom and show our transformation to the world, to provide a witness for what Jesus has done in our own lives. We are never gonna be able to, com to communicate Jesus perfectly. We can only share our story, reveal, our, to, reveal to others the change that has happened in our own lives, to offer that same hope to them.